This is History West Midlands. Throughout the years of the First World War, there was a never-ending stream of letters, cards and parcels between men at the battlefront and loved ones left at home. Often poignant and frequently moving, this correspondence provided comfort and offered a unique opportunity to maintain a sense of normality in an often senseless world. University of Worcester historian Hayley Carter explores how mothers, wives and sweethearts struggled to reassure their loved ones at the front. The extraordinary circumstances of the First World War required the separation of loved ones for prolonged periods of time. It is no surprise that the people of Britain were anxious to find ways of keeping the connection between home front and battlefront in order to reassure loved ones. All men fighting at the front, and also the women and families of Britain left behind, shared a desire to know that they were cared for and not forgotten. The solution lay within the written word, conveyed in letters, cards and parcels. The reliability of the postal service made this possible and enabled the lines of communication to stay open. In most cases, women were diligent in the care that they devoted to writing to their men, often going to great lengths to ensure that they did not disappoint the men who relied upon them. Mothers, wives and sweethearts continually adapted their weekly and often daily routines to include a specifically designated time to write to their loved ones. In this sense, a mother's role was essentially the same as that of a wife or sweetheart. Both provided care and attention, albeit at a distance, through letters and care parcels. Confirming affection, caring for those absent from the home and most importantly keeping the morale of the fighting forces high was believed to be the key to winning the war. The significance of keeping in touch can be seen by the vast quantities of letters and parcels that were sent over the channel, both to and from the front. In 1916, upwards of 500,000 letters were sent from the British Expeditionary Force in France and Belgium to Britain. Soldiers spent much of their time away from the front lines and out of battle. While still required to fulfil everyday military duties, they had ample opportunity to write, so it is no surprise that many found comfort in writing home, which allowed them to transport themselves back to the familiar surroundings of their loved ones. They disappeared into their imagination. British soldiers and family members often received letters within a few days of them having been sent, but fighting also took place in North Africa, the Middle East and further afield. Whilst the Army Postal Service unit operated within these war zones, the greater the distance from home, the more sporadic the postal service, especially if British military personnel were prisoners of war. The First World War is considered the first literate war. The Education Act of 1870 brought about compulsory education for all children in Britain. Letter writing was no longer an activity only carried out by those of wealth and privilege. So the experiences and feelings of the youthful generations caught up in this war have been captured and preserved in their own hand. Their writings give a fascinating insight into the experiences of war. 
Even with compulsory education, levels of literacy varied. Soldiers could ask the chaplain to write a letter for them, or even send a carefully embroidered silk postcard. When time was limited, soldiers sent field postcards which had simple sentences to be crossed out, such as, I am quite well, I have been admitted to hospital sick or wounded. Many at home were more than grateful to receive some news. The two collections I would like to look at now are both from very young soldiers. William John Brown joined up to fight in February 1915. Although his soldier's small book states his age as 19, he was not as old as he claimed. As a working-class lad from Worcester, he would have been working for five or so years already when he, like a quarter of a million others, lied about his age in order to join up and serve his king and country. Leaving home for the first time at the tender age of 17, Will's naivety and innocence made him desperately keen to receive letters, support and reassurance from his loved ones back home in Lower Moor, Worcestershire. His letters home were brief but regular. They are often messages of gratitude for the parcels he has received or requests for necessities such as envelopes, paper and handkerchiefs. Rarely does he describe his surroundings. He gives very limited details of his days spent in training, fighting on the front line or his stay in hospital recovering from injury. He chooses instead to concern himself with home and all those like his sister Flo who he left behind. He often asks for news, wanting to make sure that all were safe and well. Dear Mother, I received Flo's letter all right, and I'm glad the kids are all right. Please let Aggie write the next letter, about Thursday. I want you to try and send me a handkerchief, as we can't go out when we like, and I want a handkerchief bad. We have to be up here at six o'clock and finish at 4.15. Write back if you get your money right. I'm in a good room where they don't get drunk, as they're all young chaps. Oh, I gave the letter I had from Flo to Frank. Asked Flo to put her address on a piece of paper, so as I can write to her, as Frank wrote the last address and I never noticed it. If you send a nose wiper, put it flat, or else it will get open before it comes to me. I hope Grandfather is still in his same old health. Don't forget to write on Thursday. I think this is all, this time. Will would always ask after his pigeons. He had tended to them devotedly and had left them in the care of a friend, Ernie Noak. He anxiously wants to hear how they are, or requests that his mother pass on care instructions for their well-being. But unfortunately, Ernie was not a great communicator, and news of Will's beloved pigeons was often delayed. Will was aware he needed to provide for his parents. His concern for their well-being is clear, as well as his desire to hear from his extended family. I will try and send a shilling every fortnight. I'd like just to help you a bit. Amy wrote and told me that Ben had a regular job along with the gardener. She said she helps you a bit. Don't forget to ask Ern and Jack if they have received my letter. I wrote Jack's Thursday and Ern's on Friday. Will's need for his mother's reassurance and support became more acute with the possibility of fighting on the Western Front. Although there is no record of his mother's responses, you begin to get a sense of the worry she must have felt. Dear Mother, I hope you are quite well, also Dad and Grandad. I arrived quite well and safe, but I did not write before because I did not know if I was for the front or not. You will be pleased to know I is not going because I look too young. I passed the doctor, 
but the code general told me I have to go through a special course of Swedish guns for about a month. I expect they will send for my birth certificate, but send it, as they know I'm only 17. There is about 60 of us underage, and I think they are going to discharge us, or we're going all round Worcestershire recruiting. But I will write again and let you know. Tell Jack Daniels I will write Friday night when we get paid, as this is the last penny I've got. You can keep the slippers or send them, which you like, but I shall have to buy another pair. Remember me to Amy and Flo. I shall write to them Friday. His mother's relief at the possibility of him being discharged was short-lived. In October 1915, Will was sent to the front. When he wrote to tell his mother of his forthcoming departure, his tone is vulnerable, uncertain and strained. Dear Mother, I am expected to go any day, but I shall write a few lines to you the day I go. If not, I shall write as soon as possible. Tell Aggie I hope she will look after her work, and you write and tell Frank I am going, as I forgot his address. I hope he's going on all right. Also Flo and the two children. I wrote to Amy as I had some nice pears and plums she sent me. Also six stamps. And I shan't forget her kindness. I hope you'll keep my six old pigeons until I come home, as I often think about them when I have nothing to do. I never sent Ernok a photo, as I wrote to him about a fortnight ago and he never wrote back. But I hope he's going on all right and in good health. If you write, you must write back soon. I remain your loving son, Bill. Within a short time, Will's knee was injured and he was transferred to Malta where he spent his first Christmas away from home in hospital. By the end of March, he was on the Western Front where he was killed on the 10th of July, 1916, 10 days after the Battle of the Somme had begun. He was only 18 and a half years old. Although his mother's letters have not survived, they were important to him. Her love and the thought of his pigeons kept the image of home alive. The second series of letters paints a very different picture of war, but again highlights the importance of a mother's love. Arthur Chater Pepper was affectionately known as Chater. He was a young officer within the Worcestershire Regiment, who in December 1915 was sent to Egypt and attached to the Royal Flying Corps. After gaining his pilot's wings, he was sent to France and shot down on the 6th of April, 1916. His mother received the following letter. Your son went down on a photographic reconnaissance with five other machines. The formation of the machines was attacked by German machines. Three out of our six did not return. One was observed to go down in flames, and the other it is not certain about. Of course, there is a great deal of hope that your son managed to land on the German side of the lines without further mishap. It is believed that machine which went down in flames was a Mr. Bailey's, from what the other people tell me. I do not know how long it takes for the Germans to let people know the names of their prisoners. At any rate, it would be within two months of the day they were missing. I really think there is a good chance of your son being all right. Please accept my sincerest sympathy. After an agonising wait of six weeks, his family were finally informed that he was alive. The Central Prisoners of War Committee informed them that Chater had been captured and was now a prisoner of war in Germany. Chater's first letter to his mother describes just how worried he was about her. 
Although he tries to reassure her that he is safe and well, the fear of being a young, injured soldier in an enemy country is unmistakable. References to his current distressing ordeal and traumatic memory of his friend being shot down would have done very little to comfort his mother. My own darling, darling mums, how I wish I could send you a cable or wire telling you that I am safe. I think my heart will break worrying about your anxiety. But as soon as you receive these letters, there will be no need to worry any more, as I am as safe as houses. Oh, how I love you, mums, darling. God in his goodness will help keep you safe and sound, I know. We will pray to him that this war will be over very soon so that I can return to you all. I am in a cell in some old barracks here. You can hear the jailer walking up and down the passage with his bunch of keys. I expect they will send me to somewhere in Germany. After the last few days, the sooner the better. I am living in a state of continuous nightmare, and I can hear poor old Doug shouting, Pepper, I'm hit! as though he were in the room. God bless you, darling, till the end of the war. Cannot write any more. Kiss everyone for me. Give Dad my love. Your devoted, Chater. Chater's letters to his mother provided minimal reassurance. Although he attempts to be light-hearted, his fear and depression is still evident. The final paragraph of this letter describes the helpless state he had been in. I am afraid my letters in the beginning were pretty rotten and depressing, but I could not write any brighter. I am awfully sorry for it now, but do you know how I broke down completely when I started to write, and it took me about three hours at intervals to write them? I shall have a lot to tell you when I return. It is practically impossible to say much in a letter. Well, darling, we'll say adieu now. Both Chater and his mother would have been in a continuous state of anxiety initially, but Chater's life in camp did begin to settle down, and subsequent letters included photographs of his activities, including his 21st birthday party and his involvement within the camp theatre. He sent home the camp's newspaper, which described a surprisingly full programme of activities in this officer's POW camp. He returned safely home in time for Christmas in December 1918, much to his mother's relief. The emotional significance and idealisation of home for both Will and Chater was embodied by their mothers. These letters bridged the physical gap between home and battlefronts and attempted to overcome the enforced separation of war allowing individuals to feel connected. Reassurance from home provided Will and Chater and many other British Tommies with a reason to fight on and a longing to return home. You can listen to more podcasts from Hayley Carter, watch films about the hidden home front in the West Midlands and register for our newsletter at www.historywm.com. 